Welcome to the addendum, a thing added. On this podcast, Pastor Eric Williams will add to, clarify, and supplement the most recent teachings at Fellowship Renewed Church. Well, what an interesting and challenging journey it's been through the book of 1 Corinthians so far. Glad to be with you guys this morning. Um, I wanted to start today just by talking about marriage, and I was very interested to know, I think I've looked this up sometime in the past, but I wanted to see just what a an English dictionary's definition of marriage is. And so I looked up Merriam-Webster, and here's the definition. Marriage. The state of being united as spouses in a consensual and contractual relationship recognized by law. Okay, so that's our definition. Uh, Contractual relationship recognized by law that's consensual. And uh, for many people, this is what marriage is, and this is how it's defined. And and there's even uh, a a footnote section in this entry that talks about how different cultures uh, have made modifications, as we all know, to marriage. And so they need to be vague enough with this definition so that they can uh, apply a lot of general ideas to this idea of marriage. And so to say it's simply uh, two people in a consensual uh, relationship that want to enter into this uh, additional contractual relationship together, and it's recognized by law. So because laws are different in any given time and place, this definition has to fit for a lot of different times, cultures, customs, things like that. Okay, so if that is the definition, according to just an English dictionary, uh, we understand that, you know, even though there's a concept that we can put words to, it doesn't mean that we must then adhere to the dictionary definition of a concept that was instituted by God. So uh, we understand that marriage, the English word marriage, uh, is uh, a term that's brought in to bring recognition to a concept that was pre-existing that God brought to be. And so God, being the one that instituted this idea of marriage, is alone able to define what this, uh, what this, um, what this institution is. Okay, so He alone defines it. Uh, but I wanted to specifically address this idea of the contractual relationship. This is how secular society understands the idea of 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 marriage as contractual. Uh, And so if you have a a contract that binds you together, because marriage, just remember, marriage means a, a, a joining together, right? A merging. That's what marriage is, a bringing together of, of two things. So that is what marriage means just at the root of its idea. A bringing together is what marriage is. And so what is it that actually brings things together? Well, according to the secular concept here, it is a contract that brings two together and merges them together uh, 
being united, and the word for that is married, merged together. This is what creates the marriage, is the contract. So, if the contract at any point then becomes void, what happens? You no longer have that thing that joins you together. So, the marriage is void when the contract is void because the thing holding you together was that contract. So, I hope that makes sense. It's the secular idea. What does scripture have to say about that? I want to read for you a little bit out of Malachi. And this is Malachi chapter 2. And I'm going to begin in verse 10. And it says, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob and any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. In this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears and weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say... Why does he not? Because, and here's where we're getting to the point of application for us. But you say, why does he not? This is verse 14. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? godly offspring. So, guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So, guard yourselves in your spirit, and do not be faithless. Okay, so again, that's out of Malachi chapter 2, and that's verses 10 through 16. What's the point there? Uh, if the secular definition of marriage is found in a contractual relationship, uh, marriage, according to God, is a covenant relationship, but it's more than that. I, I think we understand the difference. That's kind of a basic idea, the difference between a covenant and a contract. Uh, but I'm, I'm pressing that a little bit farther today. And I'm saying that the way that the husband and wife are actually united, married, is by an act, a sovereign act by the Spirit of God, by God himself, to take two and make them one. God takes two and he makes them one. He marries them together in a covenant relationship, and it is not a contractual uh, idea that is simply recognized by the government that uh, is part of the, the system that you live and operate in. Okay, so again, going back to that that dictionary definition of marriage, a consensual contractual relationship recognized by law, uh, incorrect according to scripture. That's not the definition of marriage in God's eyes. In God's eyes, a marriage is when he takes two, that is a male and a female, and he makes them one flesh. It says specifically, specifically verses 14 and 15, back in Malachi 2, uh, the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth. Okay, that's two singular individuals. 
to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and, and, and your wife by covenant, did he, that is, did God not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? So God, this, that's, that's what it is. That's how marriage actually occurs. It's not a contract that creates a married couple. It's God taking two in covenant and making them one to become one flesh. This is what God does. This is how marriage comes to be. And the New Testament, Jesus himself affirms this idea. Um, it's consistent. And let me just read for you out of Matthew 19. This is verses four through six. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, quoting Genesis again, the, the two becoming one flesh. Yes, but what in addition is said here, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together. Do you see it? So back in Malachi 2 and here in Matthew 19, repeated in the other gospels as well. Not all of them, but repeat in the other gospels, Jesus is saying, this is what happens uh, to make two people married. And it's not a contract uh, that's come up within your legal system. And once that contract is void, the marriage is void. But instead, it's actually about God taking two people and making them one. It says specifically, Matthew 19, 6, what therefore God has joined together. God takes two and he unites them into one. That is the marriage relationship. So it is something uh, spiritual. It's not something that's simply on a piece of paper and we need to uh, detach ourselves as much as possible from the secular idea of marriage and bring ourselves into an understanding of a biblical understanding of what marriage truly is and an act appropriately according to what God has called marriage and what God has done in marriage. There is actually something miraculous, I would say, a miraculous spiritual joining a union of two people into one in marriage. It's not simply a piece of paper with some, uh, some stipulations written on it. That's not what it is. And if... If we can understand that there is a spiritual union that takes place by the Spirit of God himself between a man and a woman, I think, I think, everything that we've been talking about in 1 Corinthians, and specifically uh, this week in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I think it might it might help us to, to step back for a second and gain kind of an aerial perspective on all that's being said in the particular nuances of the uh, interpersonal circumstances of marital intimacy. Uh, because what Paul's talking about is a very narrow scope idea, but it has as its basis this big idea of all that God has done in marriage and the uniting of a man and a woman in the marriage relationship. And if it's more than a contractual relationship, something on a piece of paper, and it's actually about a spiritual union between a man and a woman, then this is far more significant and it has greater implication, has greater spiritual implication for the believer. 
So, that being said, I didn't read Ephesians 5 yesterday during our time together, but I wanted to make a couple of points from that text. I think most of you are familiar with Ephesians 5 and the fact that beginning in verse 22, there's a section that takes us all the way through verse 33. So Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 is about the relationship of husbands and wives. That's true, but it's actually in a bigger picture. It's about uh, Christ and the church. So the way that Christ relates to the church is a picture of how husbands are to be relating to wives in order for it to be actually reflective of the marriage that God intends. What I want to point out to you um, is, is something maybe that you haven't noticed before, maybe you haven't seen before. Maybe you have, and you just need to be uh, reminded. But in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 1, uh, I'm going to read just verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So how does Ephesians chapter 5 start? It starts by, by Paul pleading with the church in Ephesus to be imitators of God. Imitators of God in what way? As beloved children. And what are we to do as God's beloved children? Well, we are to walk in love. What kind of love? Has that love been uh, given as an example to us that we should walk in it and love uh, in a particular way? Yes, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What way are we to love? We're to love as, as Christ loved us. And with what kind of love did Christ love us? With a giving of his very self to uh, to love us is self-sacrificing love and then it goes on to talk about verse 3 sexual immorality um, things that are improper filthiness foolish talk sexually immoral um, don't become partners with those who are in the darkness because you are children of light all this flows from this idea that we're to be imitators of God and loving as Christ loved us. And then it says in verse 15, So, in light of this, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. So then, wives. See, it flows from this same idea. Wives then, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and is himself its savior. Okay, and then husbands, love your wives. How love your wives? Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Because this is feeding off of a previous idea that we are to all be imitators of God as beloved children and walking in love. But given that we are not all men, given that we are not all women, we are not all husbands, we are not all wives, he then addresses wives, husbands, children, chapter 6, bond servants, chapter 6, verse 5, and then masters, chapter 6, verse 9. Okay, and then he tells all of them, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So these schemes and these trials and these troubles 
are going to cause us to not be, or going to attempt to cause us to not be imitators of God, not walking in love, not giving of ourselves in the way that God would have us give ourselves. We are to be a walking reflection of the gospel of Jesus Christ in whatever calling and position that we have been placed by God himself. And this has specific implications for us as we think about marriage. And so I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you in whatever your situation is today, whether you are young or old, married or single, remember that the calling on your life is to be an imitator of God, to be loving as Christ loved us. Thank you for joining us on the Addendum Podcast. For more information about Fellowship Renewed Church, visit frcsparta.com. Please join us for next week's episode.